We are going to continue in this series in First in Peter, and, and we're doing things just a little bit differently today. At the end of the message, I'm going to give you a little opportunity to respond. We're going to invite the worship team back up and sing one more song together. And so I, I just invite you today as we kind of walk through this passage to be just keep a heart soft to what the Lord might be speaking to you or giving the opportunity to respond. If you have found First Peter chapter 5, way off to the right side of your Bible, I invite you to stand together for the reading of God's Word, as is our habit here at Bethany Church. So Peter has uh, addressed these believers in so many different ways, relationships, he's talked about suffering, he's talked about um, you know, how we are ready for the end of all things. And now he shifts just a little bit for a couple of verses. In verse chapter 5, verse 1, he says, And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Verse 2, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In verse 5, And in the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And then finally, the the song we just sang, verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Let's be seated. We thank the Lord for his word today. I wonder if you've ever had one of those seasons in life when there's just so much going on, you're just not sure how you're going to make it through. Maybe it's something like, you know, the bills are bigger than the paychecks or you're, you're enduring some medical treatments right now or, or uh, just simply between work and school and, and kids or grandkids and, and parents and, and church. You just, you're overwhelmed. You, sometimes you literally have to be in two or three places at the same time. And you think, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then, you know, well-meaning friends try to be helpful and they throw these nice cliches at you. They say, well, just trust the Lord or, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And there's lots of things that don't kill you that will, will wear you out. So what do we do with all that? I, I, I mean, you know, we've all been through these seasons many times in our life, but I think back one particular time, this is dating back about 18 or more years ago, it was my last semester of grad school and the beginning of the semester, looked through all the syllabi for all the courses and started looking at all the workload and the, the due dates on everything. I thought, oh no, oh no, I, I, there's no physical way of getting this done. I'm not a very fast reader, so what others can do in an hour takes me maybe two or three hours. And I thought, I've gotten this far and I'm not going to make it. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, wow, somehow... Somehow we, we did. What, what really gets you through those ridiculous seasons of life, I think, is, is first of all, that there's some hope that there's an end to this. Okay, if I can just get to this, then we'll be okay. Um, you, you, you have some promise, maybe, that things are going to change or, or things are going to get better, that you'll, you'll learn it, you'll cope, you'll manage. Um, and then maybe, you know, best of all, the second thing would be that you, you come to find 
I'm not alone in this struggle. I've got a partner. I've got someone to help me. I've got, I've got someone who come alongside. So that also gives you kind of good reason to press through until you see that light at the end of the tunnel. It's those times when you feel it's all on me, all on myself, and that it's just kind of an endless struggle. That's when you might lose heart and you might crumble uh, under all these things. I, I'm just reminded right, right now, you know, we've, we've uh, launched a new connection group um, this fall. Um, it's still available to anyone who wants it. It's called Grief Share. And it's, it's meant for those who are dealing with or recovering from or processing grief and loss in their life. And one of the things that will happen in a time of grieving is you feel like I'm all alone and there's no one to help me. And a group like that says, we're going to do this together and there's an end. You're going to get through this time. You're, you're going you're gonna to heal and, and find growth through that. So that's kind of what's happening. Well, Peter's uh, letter to the suffering believers extended hope to them for those same two reasons. One is that there's a promise that there's going to be an end to the struggle, even if that end doesn't happen until Jesus returns and we meet him face 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 to face. And secondly, that there that we're not alone. We have each other and we have God on our side. You know, I've I've noticed. So that's those two things. You know, there's an end. And we have some help in this thing. But I've also noticed, this is kind of an aside thing, and this gets to where he starts with leaders and so on, that in times of stress, that chaos and disorder will make it worse. It makes it harder. So, uh, you know, there's a well-known commencement speech made three years ago by retired Admiral William McRaven. And he famously said, if you want to change the world, start by making your bed. And he sort of, if you've ever seen that speech, he sort of then unpacks what he means by that, you know, that, that such small acts will bring um, some order and accomplishment out of chaos to your life. And that, that structure is a gift to us. Routine is a gift. Well, so when Peter is now speaking to these struggling Christians, he teaches that God has also given us order and structure in the church to help us as well even in times of difficulty or distress, is what, is what they were experiencing. So in this passage where we started, verse 1, Peter is turning to church leaders, elders, he's calling them, uh, to instruct them on how to lead compassionately and willingly, selflessly, eagerly. Uh, because, uh, you know, he says, a word to you who are elders in the churches, is how he, how he goes into that. The early church had carried forward this long-standing pattern out of their Jewish history and their Jewish background, as well as other, uh, uh, you know, traditions of, of elders, you know, that is, you know, mature men, usually older men who had responsibility um, for care and for guidance in the church. And that system of, of elders who lead makes a lot of sense today, although we've adjusted. Um, so we're not talking exclusively men and not exclusively older people, but rather based on gifting and spiritual maturity, uh, many churches have have made that shift to a, what they call an elders leadership or they have become an elders who, who lead the church. Our leadership council here functions um, pretty much in that way as well. But when we talk about this sort of empowerment of elders, it can be a little point of, a t- of tension maybe because um, in, in traditions like what we've come out of, Bethany Church and so on, we've historically governed by you know, democracy of a congregation, and it's very well-meaning, it's well-intended, and it has certain checks and balances to it, but sometimes then we don't necessarily empower leaders whom we've entrusted to hear from the Lord and guide the body. 
But part of the safety of God's design for the church is that he's given us leaders who will watch and lead and care uh, for us so that we avoid disorder and chaos. So if you're taking notes, the first one I would say it this way is that it was based on those first five verses that leaders got to lead. Leaders got to lead. See, every organization of people needs some leadership. Just just try arranging a dinner out with some friends or an activity, a group activity with some friends. If someone doesn't sort of step up and take charge, isn't it just the most frustrating thing ever? You just think, ah, somebody take charge of this. And uh, so, you know, everything needs leadership. And leadership includes in the church. Leadership in the church is essential. Now, leading to lead is a good desire. The Apostle Paul talks about this. You can read about it in 1 Timothy 3. The Apostle Paul was instructing Timothy how to select leaders for the church in Ephesus and kind of unpacks uh, the, the qualities of leaders and so on. And he says it's good to desire a leadership role. It's a good desire. We should. It's okay to aspire to that. But I'm not going to go into Paul's guidelines because right now we're looking at what Peter has to say about this. But there are some things you see there, verses 2 and 3, that Peter's talking about. The kinds of ways that leaders or elders are supposed to lead. He says, uh, care, verse 2, care for the flock that God's entrusted to you. So again, that's that sheep language that's common in the Bible. God's people are, are the flock. And, and he's saying care for. That means have concern for. Watch out for, uh, you know, the, the well-being of those in the body. He says, uh, you know, care for the flock, God's entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. This applies not only to those in leadership, but in any role you have in the church. If you're doing something simply out of obligation, duty, drudgery, you don't really want to do it, but you agreed to do it. It's sort of like the way I let coach soccer for six-year-olds for a few years. Oh, if you don't coach, we won't have a team. I, I still pity those children who, you know, I'm sure subsequent coaches had to spend all their time teach, you know, unteaching them things that they learned from me who knows nothing about soccer. Don't, you know, you don't do things grudgingly. Do it willingly. Um, and then he, he goes on to say, uh, verse, carrying on in verse two, uh, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Two things, not for what you'll get out of it, in other words, selflessly. You know, there's a cost to being a leader. A leader pays more than others do. It, it, there's a higher price to pay for leadership than, than for followership. But we want to be selfless leaders and then eager uh, to serve God. And again, leadership, I mean, we're talking about specifically elders, but listen, leadership applies across your life. If you're a parent at home, uh, you're leading a child. If you're in a, if you're in a, in a office situation, you're leading some coworkers. If, if nothing else, he's going to go on and say, by example, if you are, um, serving in some capacity in the church, you're leading, even if it's one other person. If you're married and you've got no kids around, you're leading your spouse. Leadership is in our lives constantly. He, he goes on to say in verse three, he says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. In other words, don't be mean and cruel and, Haughty and arrogant about it. Uh, be gracious. I would say this is about being a gracious person. Be a, be a kind-hearted, helping to lift other people up. And then finally, he says, and, but lead them by your own good example. You know, sometimes I have to tell my kids, don't do as I do, do as I say. That, that's, 
the, that's the reverse of what we're supposed to do, right? Have you ever found yourself saying like, okay, I know I did it that way, but you're supposed to do it this way over here. And we instead want to lead by good example. Not always easy to do, but what's what we're called to do. And that's what leaders in the church. So those are the guidelines for leaders. And I wanted to make sure we, we unpack that because it's here in the passage. But then he moves on into verse 5 where he says, In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. In other words, let the leaders lead. Now, by saying younger men, most uh, Bible commentators agree this is kind of a general way of addressing everyone else in the church. Uh, at that time, most church gatherings were probably predominantly men. Just the cultural reality of the day. I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just saying that's apparently kind of the way it was. And and so certainly in terms of any kind of leadership role or aspiring leadership role would have been for men in that day. Women were unfortunately largely sidelined. So he's saying to others, let the leaders lead. And it's not to say that those who are younger or other people in the church who are not in a, quote, leadership role, have no influence. I don't know if you realize this, but most great revival movements, most great movements of God's people have largely been driven by younger people um, and young leaders, in part, in part because they got frustrated with the status quo and they developed this kind of yearning, this hunger, this desire for God. That's always my hope for our, our younger folks. We've got um, a couple of churches right now in our city that are predominantly you know, 20 somethings. And it's, it's incredibly good stuff that's going on there because we've got these, you know, 20 year old, 20 somethings who are just like desiring God and wanting to grow. And there's great preaching and teaching happening there. That is a great thing. And, um, and so I would just say younger people, bring your influence, bring your, your desire to follow the Lord. But he's saying, let the leaders lead because when the leaders of a church are leading properly, when they're humble and willing and compassionate and so on, it really shouldn't be difficult to submit and let them lead. Now, no one wants the church to flourish more than its leaders. And let's say in our case, having you know, a church that has some staff, which is what we have here at Bethany. And so I, I just want to point out one more verse. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13. I personally think that Peter is the likely author of he- Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but I have a hunch it was Peter. That's kind of how my estimation on that. But this is what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. You know, I just have to say here at Bethany Church, so many of you uh, really do this so very, very well that it is, you know, you, you make it easy for your leaders to lead. And that's that's a good thing. Uh, we select our leaders prayerfully and carefully, but then we we need to let them lead. Now, I know it can sometimes be uncomfortable to let others lead us, especially if you feel like you know better, like you you you, you just you can see a better way through it or 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 what have you. But listen, if you want to lead, if I want to lead, I have to be led. Right? If if. I want a disciple, or if you want a disciple, you need to be discipled. Um, you know, around here we talk about this, attend a service, attend a service and uh, serve in a service. So we attend one, serve in one, invite to one, and love one. And, and part of that is because I don't want you just always serving and never having the opportunity to be kind of built up again, to be 
kind of minister to and be in the flow of what's happening in the life of the church. Nor do I want you serving all the time and, I mean, just attending all the time and never having the opportunity to put into practice the things that you're learning. So that's why we say there's that balance of attend and serve. So that, you know, if you want to be heard, what? You need to listen. If you want to teach, what? You need to be teachable. Those things always go together. We can't just have one or the other. Well, all of this is is rooted. We're going to shift here a little bit. All of this is rooted in a in a very foundational quality for successful relationships in the church, and I would argue outside of the church as well, and and for successful leading and following. And it's this thing called humility. Humility. First five says God opposes the proud but favors or gives grace to the humble. Now, who wouldn't want grace from God, right? I mean, who wouldn't want God's grace in their life? And he's telling us how to get there. It's the the path of humility. Now, let's talk about this thing about humility and grace. Some of us, and I've found myself in times this way as well, some of us are fighting life. You know, I mean, like, you know, you're fighting against your career, you're fighting your spouse, you're fighting your coworkers, your your neighbors. Maybe you even feel like you're fighting God. Maybe fighting is the wrong kind of word to use. Kind of resisting, pushing back against, uh, you know, life and the counsel of good people in our lives. And you know, we're restless. We 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 hold against. We shove hard. We're discontent. And you're just like. Not, we feel like things aren't really going our way. And part of the reason for that, or part of the problem for that, is a lack of humility. We're not willing to humble ourselves. We don't want to submit to God. We don't want to submit to leaders. We don't want to submit even to one another, as Peter also says there in verse 5. Right? He says, all of you um, serve each other in humility. Serve each other in humility. And then he goes on to say in in verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. So what does that mean? Humility is is a decision. It's a deliberate act to be humble. In other words, if you're taking notes, this is your second one in there. Humility is active, not passive. Humility is is an active thing, not a passive thing. Um, You see, sometimes we assume that, well, if someone's just quiet and you know, just passive or compliant, that means they're humble. Well, not necessarily. I mean, no one wants to think too much about being humble, right? It's just like, um, you know, someday I'm going to write the book, My Great Humility and, and How You Can Have It Too. Like, you can't, you can't really, like, think too much about being humble because then you're really like, well, no, I'm not really humble. So, well, how, how do we do this? Sometimes... Um, Sometimes the person who's quiet and kind of passive or compliant up here, just under the surface, is just boiling with anger. They're just torn up. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you look like you're just chill on the surface all the time, like, like, like a duck just coasting on the water, but underneath, your feet are paddling in rage. And you're just, you're just angry all the time. Well, the problem would be that you have yet to discover this beautiful act of humbling yourself under God's mighty, gracious, generous, 
power, or as, it's, as it is literally in the text, if you're to kind of read a literal translation, he says, under God's mighty hand. Humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Of, of course, that means you're trusting, you would need to trust that God's hand is a good hand. That God's, you know, hand is a kind hand. And that he's loving over you. But humility, let's just be clear, is not simply just passivity, just kind of going with the flow. Humility is an active, deliberate choice to not promote, you know, myself, but, but to put my preferences and my demands aside so that I would desire God's ways for me and for others around me. See, God cannot meet you where you are until you soften your heart, soften yourself to allow Him to cover you with that mighty, gracious hand. A while back, I don't know, last, early last spring maybe, our cat, well, there's something wrong with our cat, and unfortunately he didn't die. He was lethargic, he was complaining a lot, he was in pain, I think. So, I was actually willing to help him. And yet, when I would try to pick him up to, to treat him, he would just resist and squirm and scratch. And, you know, without his submitting to me, it was really hard to help him. Some of us are that way. We, we're stressed, we're unhappy, we're restless, overwhelmed sometimes. And, and yet, when God invites us to, to make that decision to trust him and submit to his ways, we, we just push, we push away. He invites us to, to quiet ourselves, to listen, to spend some time with him. No, we just fill our lives with busyness. And Peter says, in verse um, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. That is, an, like I said, in a deliberate act of choice to come under God's gracious hand. To do that, we quite literally need to say, God, I don't want to resist you. I submit to your work in my life. I, I want what you want for me. It includes acts like prayer and like worship. For example, you know, it might be a humbling thing for you to participate. Let me, let me give you an example. You, you'll notice when we sing on a Sunday morning, some people will clap if it's a clappy song or some will raise their hands on a hand raising, you know, a song that's a little more like that. Some of you have been taught, oh, you should never do that because now you're just drawing attention to yourself. Well, if you're doing it to draw attention to yourself, yeah, then that's a dumb, dumb thing to do. But the Bible teaches us to clap our hands, to lift our hands, to kneel, to bow down, to all those physical ways that we worship God. That's part of what we're instructed to do in Scripture. And so you might feel like it's a really humbling thing to participate in a way like that, in a, in a worship gathering, in a corporate worship. But think of it like a child who lifts her hands to her daddy to be to be picked up, to be cared for, to be acknowledged in an act of yielding to, to God. Right? Things like that are deliberate acts of humbling ourselves to God's mighty hand. Because he goes on to say, at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now, that, that's the rest of verse 6 there. I, I, I don't know what that right time is going to be might be today that God will lift you up in honor. It might be in eternity. I, I don't know when that's going to be or what it's going to look like when God lifts you up. 
But your hope is found in trusting that God has your best interest at heart and he will do what's best however long it takes. It's, a, it's an act of the will to trust God, to believe that. And if you're taking notes, it's your third one there, that only God's hands can handle your cares. Only God's hands can handle your cares. Now, maybe this is not a, a new thought for you, but for anyone coming out of a pagan background, certainly the time of Peter's writing, those, those in the Roman Empire, for example, or even today people coming out of another religion, to, to hear that God cares, you, cares for you personally is an, actually an outrageous consideration for the romans the the, the people at the time when peter was writing you know their gods were distant far off uninvolved and uncaring about humans and you, you know even today other religions would say that you know they could acknowledge that god is wise and perfect but the idea that that god is personally interested in you personally attentive to your cares that's a that's an unknown quality and 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 peter's saying God knows your needs. God understands your worries. He he understands your concerns. And he actually, he's not capricious about, oh, you're having a hard day? (laughs) Sucks to be you. No, he actually cares about what you're experiencing. Actually cares what you're going through. The Christian is not someone with no concerns and no cares and no troubles. The Christian is someone who has a caring God to help you in the midst of all those times. And, and one of the reasons we gather week by week is to be reminded of exactly that very truth, that he cares about you. It's why the church's leaders that are commissioned to care about you on God's behalf. It's why we worship God. It's why we fellowship. It's why we open the word week by week when we gather. We need to be reminded and we need to be refreshed in this powerful reality that God is personal and personably knowable. But will we be humble enough to accept his help? My wife and I, we had a bit of a disagreement recently. It's a nice way of saying we had a big fight. And, uh, well, it was because I was working on something and I didn't really want her to help me. I was like a toddler who will do it myself. And my stubbornness was frustrating to her. And I was, took me a while to be humble enough to let her into my life and submit to her like the bible says submit to one another to submit her so she could help me now i admit it was dumb and thankfully she's good about you know forgiving me and moving on but that's often a picture of how we are i do it myself and god is patient with you but he's not going to argue with you about it it's more like I'm here to help, but if you don't want it, I'm not going to force it on you. And I wonder if today, as you, as you walked in here today, or you think about your, your week or the season of life that you're in right now, you know, did you come with a burden? Are you, are you carrying a concern or, or a worry or a care in your life? Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe your job is just laying too much on you. Maybe your family's asking too much from you. Could you accept that God is the only one who can really handle your cares, that he's the only one with hands big enough to handle it. As we said, to cast your cares on him, knowing he cares for you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and, and help me as we sing a closing song. It's really a song of commitment, a song of, of adventure. It's, it's really based on, on this phenomenal 
episode in the New Testament where the disciples are crossing the, the Sea of Galilee and they're in the midst of the stormy time and all of a sudden they feel like they, they think they see a ghost, but it's actually Jesus walking out across the water and Peter calls out, Lord, if that's really you, you know, invite me out there. Jesus says, all right, come on. And Peter, amazingly, guy who's lived on the water all his life, knows how gravity works when you get on water, steps out of the boat. And he begins to walk on the water. And in a moment of human clarity, he realizes, I'm walking on water. This makes no sense. And he looks at the storm around him. And he begins to sink down. Jesus reaches, catches his hand and immediately in their boat. Jesus says, why did you doubt? Oh, I can think of lots of reasons why I would doubt. I'm walking on water. Why did you doubt? Even the impossible is not too much for God to handle. And I don't know what you're facing today. You might be thinking you're, you're not sure like what you're going to do financially this week. You're like... I don't, I don't know how we're going to make it to the end of the month. And Jesus, through God's Word, is inviting you to cast all your cares on Him. To bring all your worries to Him. But it means humility. And in that humility, it's not only humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves to God, but submitting ourselves to one another. Maybe there's somebody in your life that that wants to help you or has some good counsel or some good good guidance for you and you've been resisting that. You've been resisting that. No, I'm going to do it myself. And there's somebody who wants to say, hey, if you try this, this is going to help. I don't know what that's going to look like in your life. But if in any way you have been resisting God, if you've been stubborn, if you've been pushing back on people, I would invite you as we sing the song today to say, I'm going to humble myself before God and before people. And I'm going to cast all my cares and concerns on Him. I'm going to just take this one step further. It's not something we kind of typically do in our culture, Bethany, but that doesn't matter. As we sing, if you are at the place of saying, I, this is for me today, I need to cast my cares on the Lord. I would invite you even to come forward for, for prayer or on your own, or if you want to pray on the side with Crystal, Dawn's going to be over there. Pastor Stephen will be over there. Jan will be over there, if that's okay. And have, let someone pray with you today. So I invite you to stand as we sing the song. Well, let me pray first. Lord, I thank you that you have made this unbelievably awesome invitation that you would grace us, that you would favor us if we would just humble ourselves before you. And Lord, I know so many times we just, we're stubborn, we push back, we want to do things our own way. But you invite us even right now to humble ourselves before you. And we just say, God, we're going to step out in trust before you. We thank you. You know, our, our gathering on a Sunday morning is not the only time we get to do business with God. The beautiful thing about being able to cast our cares on Him is that you can do that at any point, any moment. In your day, in your week, you might wake up at three in the morning and your brain is going over something you're facing the next day. You know, that's a perfectly good time to cast your cares on him. You're, you're at the end of a long day and you're driving home. You're like, oh, I'm exhausted. That's a good time to cast your cares on him.
There's never a, never a bad time to do that. There's something powerful about doing that together with God's people. That's a good thing.